Hi, and welcome to Fossilfern Christian Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message, and it will both challenge and inspire you. Amen. Amen. What a joy it is to come together in worship and in prayer. And that's what I want to talk with you about this morning, about your body being a temple of the Holy Spirit, us corporately being a temple of the Holy Spirit, and there's an altar inside that temple. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. What does it mean to come into the presence of the Lord, to receive what He's done for us, and to worship and pray at the altar that He's building in our lives, in our families, and across this valley so that the name of Jesus is lifted high and many will come from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. So Holy Spirit, we ask that you would take these simple words and that you would bring revelation and insight and that you would open your word to us this morning, Holy Spirit, and teach us like Jesus taught. In His name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles there, would you open up to uh, uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6. If you have confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you've believed in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, then an amazing spiritual transaction has taken place that has far-reaching consequences, not just for you, but for this entire valley. Have a look at this scripture. There's there's some amazing truth here. I'm using the New Living Translation for this. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Don't you realise... Now, that's an important introduction to this. Don't you realise? In other words, have a think about this. Remember this, Paul is saying to the broken, corrupt, sexually immoral, uh, people who didn't know how to do communion, people who didn't understand how to use the gifts properly. He's saying that to this church that we would probably want to write off, the Corinth church. He's saying, don't you realise that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? who lives in you and was given to you by God. You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. Anyone know what that price was? The precious blood of His Son, Jesus Christ, our Saviour. And here comes the little command at the end of this amazing piece of theology. So you must honour God with your body. Hear that? Now, normally we would read that with our Western eyes and uh, we would turn it all into the individual about that and think, well, this is what God has done for me and this is what I have to do and this is what's important for me. Oh, and I've got to look after my body. I've got to eat well. I've got to exercise. I don't get caught in sexual immorality. And those things are all right and good and proper and important. However, here in this scripture, Paul's talking about something quite radically different that that you, you've been made into a temple of the Holy Spirit. He's talking spiritually now. Your body is somewhere where God dwells by His Spirit because of the precious blood of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? This, This is an incredible truth. So it's a temple and, 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 and that's not just, Paul's just not using any old language. He's using clearly Old Testament temple language to introduce this to Gentiles. That's us. So he's, he's forcing us to look back to the Old Testament and try and understand what that means. But here's this thing, when we're going to come to what that temple means in a moment, but whatever it is, your body, the Holy Spirit lives in you. Isn't that amazing? That's that's the thing that Jesus so desired for us. He, He says, it's better that I go away 
Because when I go away, then the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, the one who stands alongside, the Encourager, the Spirit of the living God can come and live in you. That's, that's what Jesus desires for us. Yes, the work on the cross forgave our sin, but it was for a purpose so that we could be made right with God, made holy, clean, set apart for this specific purpose, so that the Spirit of the living God could actually live in us. That's incredible. That's the creator of the whole universe wants to come and live in you by His Spirit. How amazing is that? And it's the Father who did that. Romans 5 and verse 5 tells us that we can, we can know how much God loves us because He gave His Spirit to fill our hearts to overflowing with His love or in the authorised version, shed abroad. In other words, He fills us up till we overflow and it touches everything around us. That makes sense? It actually affects the valley. So I don't know how many people are in here this morning, but imagine if you're all oozing the Holy Spirit when you walk out of here, your streets and your homes and your families are going to be touched by that. Because uh, liquid doesn't stay in one spot, does it? It moves. And interestingly, it moves downhill. So if you're on the higher ground, you know that old song, Lift Me Up on Higher Ground? Some of you might remember that. Well, well, if you're full of the Holy Spirit, where, where's the flow going to go? Down. Down into the valley. Hello, we're living in the Fassifern Valley. Where does the Spirit need to flow into this valley? You're not your own anymore. You see, when you confessed that Jesus was Lord and, that God, and you believed that God raised Him from the dead, this spiritual transaction took place. We sang about that this morning. We're not our own anymore. We belong to Him. We're His. Galatians 2 and verse 20 puts it really kind of clearly. You've been crucified with Christ and you no longer live. You're, you're dead. You're dead people walking. You're walking because the Spirit of God is in you now. That same Spirit that's spoken about in Ezekiel chapter 37. You know when, when Ezekiel spoke to the dry bones and they stood up like a mighty army? It was the breath of God, the Spirit of God. So we were dead, just scattered old dry bones, but now we're alive in Christ. And the life we live, we now live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave His life for us. So we're not our own and it was an amazing price that we were bought with, the precious blood of Jesus. 1 Peter 1.18 talks about that, that we were, it was, a, it, was a, it was more than silver and gold that was paid for our redemption. It was the powerful, precious, amazing blood of Jesus. That's the gospel in a nutshell. In that one little, two little verses there in 1 Corinthians 6 is the gospel, the good news of the kingdom. Now, if we leave it there, and often we do, particularly in our Western individualistic culture, we kind of think it's all about me. It's all about what Jesus has done for me. And it's all about God living in me and my gifts and my calling. And, and have you heard that kind of language before around you? That's what we're filled with because of the culture that we live in. Here's some uncomfortable news for us all. It's not about us at all. It's actually all about the Lord Jesus. It's all about Him. It's all about the Father bringing glory to His Son. But here's where it involves us. Who is the body of Jesus? Use the word we. We are. That's a corporate word. So as amazing as that scripture is in 1 Corinthians 6, now have a look at what Paul says a bit earlier in Corinthians, in verse 16 and 17 of chapter 3. Don't you realise? Notice the same language again, isn't it? Hear the language? Don't you realise? 
Haven't you? Have, hasn't this dawned on you? He's saying to the, to the Corinthian church. Now, this is great news that this is written to the worst of the churches in all the, all the letters in the Scriptures. This is, this is at the bottom of the pack, this mob. Because there was uh, sexual immorality going on, there was incest going on, they were fighting over communion, uh, the rich were pigging out and the poor didn't have any food, they were messing up on the gifts of the Spirit, they'd split themselves into groups saying, oh I'm of Paul, no, 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 I'm of Apollos, oh no, I'm better, I'm of Jesus and they'd, they'd split up all over the place. So to a church like that, which you would want to write off, Paul writes this, don't you realise that all of you together, oh look at that, all of you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you, plural. Now we can kind of figure out that, yeah, Jesus lives in me, the Spirit lives in me and I understand that, but there is something amazingly different when we come together. When we come together, the promise that Jesus gave that says, wherever two or three of you are gathered, do you know the rest of the verse? There I am in the midst or in the middle of you. Not, not This is more than inside me, it's in the middle of us. Whoa, that's amazing. That's that's, that's truly incredible. In fact, Paul develops this theme even more in the letter to the Ephesians. In the letter to the Ephesians, Paul uses the word together time and time and time again to talk about what, what in describing the corporate, the we, we are together. Now that Greek word together comes from the building industry. It means to be jointed together. I've got a dovetail joint up here, but there are lots of other kinds of... But that's the impression. It's being built together. It's being jointed together. It's being formed using the building understanding of form work, formed together. So listen to these scriptures that talk about us corporately now. You see, we've understood that we're a temple of the Holy Spirit, but we corporately now are that. Listen to this. Uh, Ephesians 2, 4 to 7, I'm using the New King James Version here. But God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Hear that? Together He made us, us, we corporately alive by grace you've been saved and He raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Oh, listen to that. That's kind of different, isn't it? You see, when we read that with our Western eyes, we think, well, I'm sitting with Jesus in the heavenly places. This says together, we, we are seated with Christ. Isn't that amazing? That might give us pause to think about how we work together or whether we're just happy to ignore each other because it's me and my worship or whether we're together. Listen to Ephesians 2 and verse 16. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of His death on the cross and our hostility toward each other was put to death. Would someone like to say Amen to that? For the divisions in the church in this valley? Now just ignoring the mob up the road is as bad as speaking ill of them, by the way. Ephesians 2, 20 and 22. Together... We are His house. Hear the word? We, we, corporate, we are His house, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus Himself. 
we are carefully joined together. There's that dovetail joint there. Carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Now that kind of ties it all together now. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. God lives by his spirit, not just in my heart. Yes, he does. But when we come together, God lives by his spirit as we've been built together. Peter talks about living stones being put together. Ephesians 4 and verse 3. Why am I focusing on this? Because we've got to get this in the West. We've forgotten this. We've believed the it's all about me stuff. Ephesians 4 and verse 3. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. So what's, what's, what's the glue in the dovetail joint? Peace. Binding us together. The peace of God. Isn't that interesting? Because that's what was being prayed for people this morning. Peace for Dennis and Jane and their family. Peace into the families of the Fassifern. Why? Because that's the glue that holds people together in the love of God. Ephesians 4 and verse 16. He, that is Jesus, he makes the whole body fit together perfectly. So who designed this dovetail joint, by the way? Jesus himself. Is that right? He planned it to be that way. It wasn't just an accident. It wasn't just, oh, well, there's another mob in town. I suppose we better go and say hello to him. No, no. Jesus designed it that way so that we might fit together to be built up together so that God's spirit might dwell in us because where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, freedom. There's healing and wholeness and deliverance where the spirit of the Lord is. Does this valley need that? Absolutely. So you're getting the picture now? That this is important for us to get a hold of what it means to be a temple individually and more, more importantly, corporately. So, how, how can we understand this Old Testament image of temple? Because, it, well, it's no longer being used as a, as a temple now. It's got a Muslim mosque on top of it uh, in Jerusalem. So, so, how do we understand when... when when Paul's saying, well, your body is a temple. Do you know a little bit about the, the furniture of the temple and about how it kind of works? What, what's, what's the room at the very centre of the temple called? Do you know? The Holy of Holies. I've got it up here for you. Here's a kind of a schematic of the, of the temple. And the, and the place next to it is called the Holy Place. Uh, who can go into these two places? Just every man and their dog? Know who? Only, only the priests, and they're selected specially to go in from outside into here. And then who can go in here? How often? Once a year. So this is the picture that we're being given about your body individually and us corporately that we're like this temple. Right in the centre of this temple are two pieces of furniture. This is according to Hebrews 9 and verse 4 and Exodus 25. There's two pieces of furniture. The first piece is called the Ark of the Covenant. The second piece is called the Golden Altar of Incense. These two pieces of furniture sit next to each other but separated by the wall between the holy place and the holy of holies. There's a big curtain across here. Every day the priest comes in to the golden altar of incense 
and puts incense and fire on the altar so the smoke rises up. This, we're not talking about the altar out here where, where lambs and goats are slaughtered. This is a different thing we're talking about. This is a place where the priest comes to offer worship and prayer. And it's right beside, separated just by the curtain from the Ark of the Covenant or what we might call the mercy seat. Mm. That's right at the core of the temple. Could it be that if our bodies are described corporately as the temple and individually as the temple, that this kind of metaphor is helpful to understand that there are two pieces of furniture in your heart, in our heart. A mercy seat and an altar of worship and prayer. Let's have a look at this a little more closely. These two pieces give us a good spiritual picture for understanding what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit and what that looks like in our inner life. The Ark of the Covenant, and this is just a picture of it here. So it was a golden box. They had the Ten Commandments and a few other bits and pieces in there. And on the top, there were these cherubim or angels with wings arced over. And this spot right in the middle, in between the wings of those uh, two angels or cherubim was called the mercy seat. That's where the high priest came and applied blood for the forgiveness of sins. What does that remind you of in New Testament terms? The work of the cross. Notice what the name of it is called the mercy seat. And from this same place, between the wings of the cherubim, according to Exodus 25 and verse 22, that's where God speaks to his people. Hmm. Your heavenly Father has applied the blood of Jesus to the mercy seat in your heart. Would someone like to say thank you, Lord, for that? That's what he's done. This is right at the centre of who you are. And it's mercy. Do you deserve it? Do I deserve it? No. It's mercy the biblical word, grace. We didn't deserve it, but it's, it's grace. It's the grace of God, the favour of God, the mercy of God. Right there in the centre of who we are individually and who we are corporately. If you would take your little communion thing now, because we're going to stand up, thanks, and holding your little piece of wafer. In the natural, the Ark of the Covenant was built of gold and acacia wood. In the spiritual, in the heavenlies, it's built of the broken body of Jesus because his body was broken for us that an altar might be built in our heart. Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you. So will you come to the altar now? Open up your little cup now. If you'd like to hold it up slightly raised, listen to these scriptures from Ephesians. 
Ephesians 1, verse 6. So we praise God for His glorious grace that He's poured out on us who belong to His dear Son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that He purchased our freedom with the blood of His Son and forgave our sins. He has showered His kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. And Ephesians 2, selected verses. But God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love, which He loved us, and when we were dead in our trespass, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And He raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. But now in Christ... You who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Oh, Lord Jesus, how wonderful is this. Draw us closer now, Holy Spirit, even closer to our Lord and Saviour because of his blood. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. But not only does God show us mercy at the Ark of the Covenant, not only is the blood of Jesus applied to the door of our heart, it's where God chooses to speak to His people. You see, when we have come in humility and said, well, Lord Jesus, I, I, I need you. I need your blood. I need your broken body. It's then that our Father can speak to us. And that's, that's the second of God's actions at this mercy seat. He speaks to His people. Who would like to clearly and consistently hear the voice of the Lord? Then you need to regularly come to the mercy seat and receive mercy and claim the healing and forgiveness of the precious blood of Jesus, clean hands, pure heart, and come because he wants to speak to his children. You know what the first words that God the Father said to Jesus, his son, while on earth? Do you know what those first words were? Publicly, at the Jordan River when he came to be baptised. Luke chapter 3. This is my son who I love and with whom I am well pleased. Let me colloquialise that. You're my daughter. You're my son. And I love you very much. And I am well pleased with you. You're doing a good job. What, what, if, what if we heard that every day? Hmm? Would that put a little skip in your step to hear your dad say you'd done a good job? That he loved you? That you were his son and daughter? Because we're no longer slaves to fear. I am a child of God and his spirit this is Romans 8 14 and 15 now and his spirit testifies with our spirit that I am a child of God that's why we need to understand that we're a temple because the Holy Spirit's living in there and he's causing us to cry out Abba Father or Daddy God that's what happens when we come together that's why worship is so fundamentally important when we come together. Because that's, that's what God has done for us in showing mercy and that causes us to bubble over with worship. That makes sense? And that's not just here on Sunday morning. That's in our homes and families. That's between husbands and wives. Oh, oh, that's between different churches. Oh, that's between 
different racial groups. Oh, that's in workplaces. And we're going to have a look at all those in a moment. Because we've so compartmentalised things in the West and thought of it just as me and my... and Oh, as long as I have my little quiet time in the morning and that's good and right and proper. By the way, I've done my duty. There's so much more that we're called to with this understanding that we corporately are his temple. Let's now look at this second piece of furniture in the temple, in our heart. We've looked at the mercy seat and what God has done for us through the precious blood of Jesus and how he wants to speak to us. But there's this other part of furniture. And in the Old Testament system, this is kind of how it worked. The altar could be gone to daily, not once a year, because it wasn't in the Holy of Holies. Remember, it was just outside. And when the smoke from the incense rose from this golden altar, it was, it was carrying the prayers of the priests, where? Into the presence of God. Because it was just a curtain separating God's presence, the Ark of the Covenant, and the golden altar. So the smoke got through there, but it did more than that. It floated outside as well. So people outside would gather. When the priest went in in the morning to offer incense and in the evening, it was done twice a day, people would gather outside because the smoke would waft outside as well. And they were pretty sure then that it was carrying their prayers into the presence of God. Isn't that a great picture? It's a picture of what's going on in our heart individually and corporately. Let's just have a look at what's happening at the altar in the throne room of heaven. Now, we understand historically what was happening on the golden altar in the Old Testament temple. But in heaven, that altar exists as well. Did you know that? You might like to have a look at some of these scriptures for homework. Revelation 5 verse 8 and Revelation 8 verse 3. Because there in the throne room of heaven, there's a golden altar and there's a group of large angels bringing golden bowls to the altar full of incense and, do you know what? The prayers of the saints. Oh, and then these angels pour that on the altar and the smoke from that incense and prayer rises up into God's presence. And then it says in Revelation 8 and verse 3, then there's a fire falls from heaven to earth. Now when we look at that we think, oh, that's the fire of judgment. Um, there's another kind of fire. The fire of the presence of God. The fire of revival. The fire that comes when believers cry out to God and the fire falls on the altar. Would you like to see that in this valley? The fire of revival. The fire of the presence of God. Th this, this is this is powerful now for us to begin to understand that. So when we come to the altar, the golden altar, having, having experienced the mercy of God, having heard God's voice, we can come regularly now to worship and intercede or pray. To pray for others to cry out with prayers and petitions and supplications, to pray for all people, to pray for all the saints, to pray on all occasions about everything. I mean, that's just a couple of random scriptures I've kind of mushed together about our call to prayer. Abraham, our spiritual father, built altars all around the promised land. And do you know what he did at those altars, by the way? 
He worshipped God and called on His name. That's what He did. And His sons followed Him, Isaac and Jacob. They built altars and called on the name of the Lord and worshipped Him all around the inheritance that God had promised to them. We've been called in Romans 12 verses 1 to 2 to actually offer our bodies as a living sacrifice on that altar, which is our acceptable duty of worship. We've been called to crucify our flesh. That's an act of worship, by the way. Putting your flesh to death is an act of worship. That's why fasting is so powerful. Because fasting is actually saying to your body, I I know you need food, but I choose to worship and pray instead. That's a sacrifice. And that's powerful when you bring that to the altar. Extremely powerful. Because we've come in heartfelt adoration and worship. And as we worship, the Lord Jesus builds a throne. As we worship, we get a touch of the Father. We get to touch the Father's heart, and He touches ours, and He'll touch our heart with His heart for other people in this valley. And that then promotes our prayer and begins to to stir prayer in our midst. That's why in church on Sunday morning, for example, it's, it's a wonderful spot to begin to pray and intercede straight after you've had a time of worship. Have you noticed that, by the way? That it actually flows really quite nicely? If someone just stands up and says, pray, and you're going to pray cold turkey, that's pretty challenging. You know what I mean by cold turkey. You just, right, Andrew, up, pray. It's, you know, but, but when, when you've gone, when we've, we've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus and we've got pure hands and a clean heart, when, when, when we're in that place of worship, oh, Father, we adore you. Then as we begin to pray, it's his heart that's coming out through our lips. What's on his heart? And did you hear that this morning? Now, you might think, well, why on earth did you pick Andrew and Robin? Well, because I could see that they had, they had stuff resting on them ready to go. And it, and it wasn't a challenge. Did you hear there was no ums and ahs and, oh, gee, you really want me to pray? It just flowed out of Andrew and Robin. Did you hear that? Is that because they're special? No, that's because they were in the presence of the Lord. Because when we come together, who's in our midst? Jesus. And, and, and who's, who's the great intercessor? Who's the one that leads the prayer meeting? Yeah, the Spirit of Jesus in our midst. That make, does that help you kind of understand a little bit about how that works? So what, what does that mean then outside of when we kind of come together on a Sunday morning? Well, that means that in your home, you can use the same principle. You can put on some worship on your little iPhone thingo and worship the Lord. Father, I adore you. Father, I love you. Oh, Lord, you're beautiful. We exalt. And then, as you worship, you'll discover that you get led into prayer and intercession. And that's not just for you as an individual. That worships, that works for husbands and wives together. That works for home groups or cell groups or life groups, whatever you call them, together. That, that works when the churches get together. That, that works when different racial groupings come together and it actually works in your workplace. Building an altar. You see, Abraham, the father of faith, whom we're grafted into, that's what he did. All around his inheritance, he built 
altars at place after place after place. Husbands and wives, families, workplaces, different churches together, home groups, mission groups, ministry groups, together worshipping and praying. That's why Paul describes us as a temple. There's those two parts that come together. So where can you build those altars? Well, the two obvious places, and we've already mentioned these, that's in your own heart, in your own devotion time, your own quiet time, in the morning, in the evening, whenever that works for you. But if you choose to add worship to that time, not just reading a devotion, praying, oh, God bless mommy, God bless daddy, and give me a good day, amen. That's, that's not what I'm talking about. Spending time in worship, using music to help you worship the Lord, then let that flow into, into prayer. That's extremely powerful in your own private time. And, and corporately, when we get together on a Sunday morning, worship and then let that worship flow into prayer. I can tell you that when there's been prayer before the preaching, the preaching's much more powerful, not because the preacher is any different, but because the Holy Spirit causes those words then to fly to the hearts of people in the congregation and across this valley. It's prayer that does that, by the way. Not fancy pants preaching. It's prayer that does that. That's why that's so profoundly important. That's why it's profoundly important for you to be praying together with your pastor before the service on Sunday morning and having a little worship and prayer time together. That can work. You don't have to, oh, the time, the time. Don't let the program rule what the Scripture is calling us to. What would that be like to worship and pray together Small little group, just a ministry team or whatever. Oh, I'd have to get a half an hour earlier. Well, perhaps. And worship and pray and see what happens. We were in a, uh, a church a few years ago that uh, spent most of their time whinging and complaining about their pastor. And... Uh, their pastors were away on holidays and they'd invited us to come and preach. Um, and we thought, oh, well, well, we'll turn up early and come to the, uh, the prayer meeting before the service. And it was the most boring, deadly thing we've ever been to. Now, I'm not going to tell you the church or the flavour of the church, but the flavour of the church should have been a slightly more lively prayer meeting than it was. And uh, we asked just politely afterwards, oh, you know, is this normally how you pray on Sunday mornings? And they said, oh, no, no, this is only because we've got a special guest preacher coming. We, we don't pray with our pastor before church on Sunday morning. Join the dots, friends. It's so important. It's profoundly important. And then when you come into everybody's gathered together, you can worship and pray in it, and it's flowing from the heart of the Father then. And you heard that this morning. When Andrew got up and prayed, was that flowing? And when Robin followed praying, did that flow on from where, from where Andrew was praying? Absolutely. Why? Because it was led by the Spirit, because we'd just been in worship. So there's the two obvious places in your own personal private life and in your local church, hopefully before the service and during the service. You know, in some church, and we've been to a lot of churches around the nation, in some places there's no prayer, not, not just no prayer before the service, there's no prayer in the service. There's no time for it because we've got all these other things to do. Maybe... The pastor might pray a couple of prayers, 
Maybe. And that's it. There's no prayer. No wonder we're in a tough spot. Because when we don't pray, we're actually saying to God, thanks, but we don't need your help on this one. We got it. That's what it's saying. Because prayer is humbling, saying, oh Lord, we don't know. We need you, Holy Spirit. That's what prayer says. We need your input. But no prayer means we got this one, God. It's all right. That's why the church is in a pretty sad place in the nation. What are some of the other places that you could begin to build an altar of worship and prayer corporately? What about with the other believers in this valley? You know, that used to happen 25 years ago. You know that, don't you? You know we used to come together regularly every second Saturday morning, a large number of uh, leaders and prayer warriors. And we used to have combined evening services where we would pray and worship. And they were powerful, weren't they? Those of you who were here? Perhaps we need to rebuild that altar. It's fallen into disrepair because of our competition, our mistrust, our just basically ignoring one another. Perhaps that needs to be rebuilt. Another place that we could build an altar of prayer is between different racial groupings. Now, all these points, I'm taking straight out of Ephesians, by the way. These are all introduced in Paul's letter to the Ephesians about you know, racial groups being brought together, those who are far away and those who are near, Jew and Gentile, about the churches coming together. Uh, that's just, it's just a straight teaching straight out of Ephesians. You know, we love Ephesians because it gets to all the spiritual warfare stuff at the end, doesn't it? All the, you know, war, sword and shield and all that. No, let's do that and bind the powers and principalities. What we haven't understood is all before that is all, all about making sure that these groupings are together. Together, jointed, glued, built up, together. We were in an um, Arabic-speaking Presbyterian church in the middle of um, Muslim Sydney um, a few years ago. And uh, in this little church, and, and it was all through Arabic, we worshipped together in Arabic and then they would put the English up on the screen and we would sing that. And then we would pray together, maybe the Lord's Prayer and it up and go in Arabic and then we would pray it in English. Now, there was something going on inside of me that the Lord was putting his finger on because I have to truthfully say, whenever I see that Arabic script, what do you think of? Islamic terrorists, right? And here in Islamic script was worship songs and, and the Lord's Prayer. And I'm going, wow, Lord. And as we worshipped together and prayed together, even though our languages were different, the Lord knit our hearts together. Isn't that amazing? It's really cool to hang out with other groups from different cultural backgrounds. Even if they're just a bunch of city slickers from Brisbane. That's a different culture than out here, by the way. True. But you've got plenty of people from the Solomon Islands all around here. But when we hang out together and we worship and pray together, that builds an altar that's extremely powerful because everything in the world is wanting to divide along racial lines. Have you noticed that? Well, what about between husbands and wives? This is not your private worship time. Now, this is husbands and wives. This is a lesson that Kathy and I had to learn. No, this is a lesson I had to learn. Kathy already knew. And now the most delightful part of our day 
is early in the morning when we worship, we get a cup of tea and we come back to bed and we spend a significant amount of time in worship. Kathy uses her eye touch thingo and uses different songs and we just worship together. We don't sing so loud that the whole neighbourhood gets woken up, but we're worshipping God and then we spend time praying and interceding together and the Lord's given us a number of things to be praying and interceding for. Now some mornings that might only be half an hour, but other mornings it might be an hour and a half. It's changed our marriage. It's made my heart much softer toward my wife. But it's also changed our street. We had a salvation in our street a couple of weeks ago. One of the old gentlemen was led to the Lord by someone else further up the street. Isn't that awesome? There'll be another altar of worship being established in our street now. Husbands and wives worshipping together families worshipping together oh that we could bring all our personal children together in worship they used to do that I can remember 25 years ago quite a number of people used to kind of giggle quietly at our children and us when we would go and sing at the top of our voices all of us up the front of church singing some old Wesleyan hymn or something or rather belting it out and everyone would be kind of laughing But it was delightful that our kids loved to be in worship together with us. In fact, one night after there was a huge big outpouring of the Holy Spirit, one of those combined evening services that went for four hours. Any of you at that one? Yep, it was a ripper, wasn't it? Yep. Well, on the way home, this is four hours on a Sunday night and we had young school-age kids and on the way home, they're all bright-eyed and that was the best church we've ever been to. Four hours and they were stoked. What a joy it is when families can come together in worship and prayer. And what about in your workplaces? I'm sure you have believers in your workplace and if you're not sure, ask the Lord to show you who they are because I'm sure He wants to. We had the joy of uh, going on to the uh, RAAF base at Williamtown, just, uh, just near Newcastle. And there is a, a significant uh, workplace prayer meeting there. Significant amongst the, 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 uh, the Air Force uh, there. And we were told this story. Two junior officers, believers, went to their commanding officer, an unbeliever, and asked... What could we be praying for our, uh, for our RAAF base here, please? Could you tell us? Because we would like to pray for that. Now, uh, Williamtown in those days, a few years ago, was where all the Hornet uh, F-15, no, 18s, F-18s were based. And this is what their commanding officer asked. I'd like you to pray, please, for the, uh, for the mechanical safety of our, uh, of our jet fighters, please. And so those two young officers met together regularly in their workplace with other believers and worshipped and prayed and asked the Lord for safety for, uh, for the F-18s. Now that you might think, well, that's an unusual thing to ask for. Well, I can tell you 12 months later, we were invited to come to a, a church service where that commanding officer was there, an unbeliever, and he stood up in that service of believing Air Force people and said, I'd like to give testimony this morning, please, about what happened when those two young sold, uh, Air Force people came and said, what can we pray for? And they prayed for the safety of our Hornets. I can tell you that statistically... This squadron of Hornets is the most mechanically safe squadron of Hornets anywhere in the world. Hear that? Workplace worship and prayer. It changes. Do do you need Jesus in your workplace? Well, why don't you find a few other believers and get together with them and pray and pray. So what does this look like in the Scriptures? Because the Scriptures is full of altars of worship and prayer being built. Have a look at this one in Acts chapter 13. Just the first three verses. It talks about the leadership of the church. It describes them as 
prophets and teachers. There were five of them named. They came together to build an altar of worship with fasting. That's powerful prayer. They were worshipping and fasting and crying out to the Lord. And, and the church in Antioch, was, it, it was a powerful church. And as they were worshipping and praying, God spoke. Remember what I told you about what, what was one of God's actions at the ark, the covenant, the mercy seat? Not only does He apply the blood of Jesus to our heart, what else does He do? Speaks to us. So as they're worshipping and praying at the altar, the Lord speaks to them and says, set aside for me Barnabas and Saul. You might like to thank God for that prayer meeting. Because most of our salvation comes from that prayer meeting. Do you know why? Because Barnabas and Saul were sent to Europe where many of our forebears come from who heard the gospel and passed it on to the next generation who passed it on to the next one and that's where we heard it from because a group of church leaders fasted and prayed and worshiped the lord and god spoke to them and they were obedient to the command of the lord <coughs> excuse me and after the lord after they finished worshiping and praying they sent out the missionaries is that your heart here, Fassifern Christian Church? Hmm? Are you sending people out <clears throat> to the lost, to the ends of the earth, to next door? Then build an altar, worship and prayer. Let me show you what that looks like in Australia. I want to briefly talk to you now about the early altars of worship and prayer that were built in this nation right back at the beginning of the 1800s. Now that's a little bit challenging to see but this is actually a map of Sydney. There's Sydney Harbour, there's Botany Bay and there's the Hawkesbury River. So in about 1803 not long after the settlement, people began to move out into this area, the food bowl of Sydney, out the back here. This blue dot here is a Parramatta. That was the kind of staging point for everybody to move out. There was a little church in Parramatta. And the very first Methodist evangelist missionary Reverend Samuel Lee arrived early in the 1800s and he began to move around the Hawkesbury River Basin, a 150-mile circuit in 10 days, establishing little groups, threes and fours of believers all around the district, all the way from Ebenezer around through Camden and Liverpool and back to Parramatta and St Mary's. 10-day ride on a horse, meeting with threes and fours of believers, worshipping and praying together. And much of the focus of their prayer was that the rose, that, that in, in the desert, the rose will bloom. That in the dry places, the crocuses will bloom. That's Isaiah 35 verse 1. That was the focus of their prayer. For year after year after year, Believers crying out, praying, worshipping in these tiny little isolated places. Now, now they're a long way from anywhere in, in the early 1800s out the back of there. And you might think, well, what a waste of time. And in fact, the mission board of the Methodist Church back in London was just about to close it all down here in New South Wales, this is what a waste of time. We've spent 20 years financially supporting this and we've got nothing to show. Just a few little people, groups of people praying and worshipping. You see, that's the mind of an administrator. 
by the way. In 1840, that's nearly 30 years after all these little groups were established and small groups of believers regularly gathering to worship and pray, an enormous revival burst out and look where it burst out. Wherever there was an altar, wherever there were believers who'd gathered 20 or 30 years earlier, revival sprung out in the next generation. A powerful revival that's described by Dr. Stuart Higgins, Higgins, the uh, Christian historian, as this whole area being spiritually burnt over by the Holy Spirit. Did you know that about our history? That, that's, that's, that's the whole of that Paramount and Nepean Basin burnt over in revival in the 1840s, from 1838 all the way through to about 1847 or 8. In a 10-year period, revival after sweeping all those country people, farmers and, uh, and uh, kids and mums and dads into the kingdom. Why? Because 20 years prior to that, the altars of prayer and worship were built. And have a look at this. It didn't just stay here. Look where it went. From that basin, the Hawkesbury-Nepean basin, it went down to Goulburn and a revival broke out there in 1858. It crossed the Blue Mountains to Orange and Bathurst and revival broke out there. It went up into the Hunter Valley and revival broke out in Singleton, Maitland and Newcastle and by uh, by the 1860s it was across in Adelaide and a huge revival broke out there. There were 700 people meeting every morning for prayer in the Methodist Church in the middle of Adelaide and they were sending out missionaries all around the streets and there was worship and prayer going on in the workplaces of Adelaide. Wow, how good is that? And even by 1858, people were queuing up outside prayer meetings in the middle of Sydney, in uh, not not Pitt Street, the other one, uh, George Street, queued up outside because the prayer meeting hadn't started and they were waiting to get in and they were under the conviction of sin by the Holy Spirit and standing there waiting to get in to find out how to be saved. Do you see what happens when an altar of prayer and worship is built and the Spirit of God dwells in our midst. These are corporate things. This is what happens when we come together. Because let me go back and... You see, this is a big corporate. This was across the whole whole region. It wasn't just one or two. This was corporately. And maybe some other time I can tell you the story of how one of the people who was instrumental in this revival here out at Castle Ray went all the way up to Toowoomba, but that's another time. So to summarise, your individual body is a temple of the Holy Spirit and you're to honour that temple physically and spiritually. But when we gather together as believers in groups of two, three or bigger, it's also a temple where the mercy of God is applied by the blood of Jesus, where God the Father speaks to us and where we come to that golden altar of incense in our heart corporately and offer worship and intercession. And I can tell you that the fire does fall on the altar. And that's the story of the Old Testament. The fire falls on the altar, the presence of God falls. 
So how is the altar of your heart? Or how is the altar in this church or in this town? Is it broken down and in need of repair? In closing, listen to these words of Oswald Chambers when he's speaking about an altar. Quoting him, You must be willing to be placed on the altar and go through the fire. Willing to experience what the altar represents, burning, purification and separation for only one purpose the elimination of every desire and affection not grounded in or directed toward God. All that's required to come to the altar is wholehearted, unrestrained worship and prayer. It's so important that we establish that in our own life, in our families, husbands and wives, in our workplaces, between the churches, between cultural groups, in this church here, before the service, during the service, at your prayer meetings, at your leadership meetings, at your fellowship meetings, in your cell groups, in your home groups, whatever they're called. So I believe God is calling us to repair the altar of our heart personally and corporately in this town. It's our rebellion and our disunity that's brought the altar into disrepair. So will you offer yourself as a living sacrifice to the Lord, your act of spiritual worship? Will you stand and cry out to the Lord, Oh Lord, pour out your spirit and revive the church. Will you apply the precious blood of the Lord Jesus to the door of your heart and to the door of our corporate gatherings? Thank you for listening to our podcast. We hope you were blessed with today's message. You can connect with us at firstfamchristianchurch.com.